you know what? I, I, I can't say I'm a full-fledged Drake fan, but it's starting to seep into my life a little bit, you know? Holy. I mean, uh, I don't know, man. Just something about God's plan during the wedding. You heard God's plan like 11 months, 12 months after it came out. It's crazy, and it, it's hitting you like this. Well, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll backtrack a bit. It was in about January. I made like a Spotify playlist with some of like my guilty pleasure rap songs. And I was like, I got to throw some God's <laughs> blood on there. And then I never really listened to it. I didn't really touch it for a while. And then... For whatever reason, during the the party week before the wedding, it came on and just it was just on repeat after that, man. Wow, man, yo, it's I'll tell you straight up, it's not one of my favorite Drake songs, but it was huge everywhere. Everyone was listening to this song. You know that part that you love? Yeah. Oh man, I think it's coming up right now. Oh, oh it yeah. is. That part's crazy, and oh, Trevor wants to sing it, man. Hey. Only hey. love my bed, hey. my mom. Woo! I'm sorry. Okay. Silky and filthy, where we talk a lot of hockey and a whole lot of bullshit. Gives it away, Horvath centers, Patterson scores! Politely, why would I be polite with you? Are you kidding me? Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Never look yourself in the mirror, right? Huh? You're always good, you never make the mistakes. Yeah, you know, they're a good team. They're a good team. They're a good team. They play hard. Obviously, they're a good team. They have a lot of good players. You're about to listen to some puck talking bullshit. Welcome to another episode of Silky and Filthy with your host, Trevor Beggs. Man, I can't believe you got me singing Drake. Had to. to begin this episode of Silky and Filthy. It's a first. I'm just going to push it aside, man. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. So welcome, all you Silky studs, to another episode of Silky and Filthy. You know, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, by the way. I don't think I've ever said that on the show before. So, uh, <laughs> it's been a while, yo. You're exactly. a great promoter. I kind of forgot about all that, but uh, yeah. I, I see it popping up all the time. It's it good doesn't shit. even matter. This matters. <laughs> right? This matters. The program. Exactly. But you can find us Silky and filthy with the n in the middle yeah. very hipster very hipster man had to do it yo. just like the show i mean you look, you're looking pretty hipster today you got the toque on the, the, wow. the jean jacket the khakis yeah you know what it's been a it's been an interesting week to be a vancouver right real talk for a moment there i thought a lot of people were gonna have their dreams come true you know a lot of people in this city they just want to be from toronto we the northwest was it was gonna happen you know what? It already is happening. I think the haters are louder than the than the guys who are fans, but it's it's happening. There's a ton of Raptors fans here, man. There's a ton of Raptors stuff going on. Okay, can't talk about basketball for too long. I like to ramble. I'll keep it short, okay? I, I'm proud of the Raptors and their fans. They've they've waited a long time. They've been loyal. They're fans. That's great. They deserve this a hundred percent. And I'm not trying to say Vancouver does ha- does not have any Raptors fans, but do we have enough for a, we the Northwest? Trevor, be honest with you. In your 20, 26 years of life here on this earth, how many Raptors jerseys have you seen on our streets? That's a long time. If they're really Canada's team, if it's under 20, Northwest? Yeah, you're right. There's not a ton. There's a few. There's a few. There's going to be a lot now. But come on, man. Vancouver, I'm so happy that shit's not happening here. It would have added to our reputation of being a bandwagon city. That's a horrible reputation. Carry on, man. Yeah, I, th- I think the majority is silent right now, though. There's a lot of Raptors fans, but yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing a ton of it going on. It's mainly just like concentrated in the bars and whatnot, man. And that's great. But uh, nope. you know, I- I'd still rather see this Stanley Cup final. You know, I'm happy for Toronto. It's going to be, uh, they're probably going to get beat by Golden State. I'd be pretty surprised if they won. But, uh, you know, I'd much rather see this Stanley Cup final that's going on right now, man. Boston, St. Louis, St. Louis yes. finally winning their first ever game in the Stanley Cup final. Just, just a little applause, man. Congratulations okay. to St. Louis. Awesome. Congratulations. 
that's a good feeling you know what do you think the people of st louis are doing right now they just won their first stanley cup final game well, i mean they're underdogs in this series so no what are they drinking what are they drinking? What do you drink at St. Louis? I don't man? know. Do they drink the, the French seventy five? Ah, uh, no, the drink French champagne. Ain't, no, no, that's a that's a rebel still drink, yo. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know what they drink St. Louis, man. I'm, I'm guessing bourbon. Hey, oh, St. Louis and bourbon coming goes good for Straight me. Straight up, yeah. It's a night to celebrate, man. So it's gonna be a Let's good go night. Nuts. Go nuts on the burby. There you go, man. Congratulations, St. Louis. Our guest today won't be happy about it. Uh, we actually have Dixon Ward on Sil Silky and Filthy today. Ooh. Our first ex Canuck guest. Awesome. So this is a good one. He had one of the best rookie seasons in Canucks history. Uh, he's being passed on the list by a few guys: Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, and uh, but you know what? But yeah, one of the best rookie seasons in Canuck history, and it was a great interview, man. Really good talk. Touched on a lot of things. Touched on those Boston Bruins. Uh, he used to play for them. Uh, touched on John Tortorella. Touched on some from some former Vancouver Canucks. I don't. I honestly had no idea who this guy was. Uh, when you first told me about him, like, oh, yo, I'm gonna need to. Uh, learn how to do this, to interview uh, Dixon Ward. I thought he was a, a journalist or something. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Dixon Ward. I'm being honest. It's an honest program. I heard a couple minutes of the interview, though. Cool stuff about Pavel Bure, uh, Gino, the good old days. Uh, he did say that thing about the 92 team being better, well, the 92-93 team being better than the 94 team. Interesting stuff. Yeah, and it was almost, I think there's seven 20-goal scorers on that team. Uh, lots of talent going there, but uh, the talent was flowing from Dixon Ward's voice with the stories in this one. So let's just get to it. This is Dixon Ward on Silky and Filthy. Joining me today on the Silky and Filthy podcast, former Vancouver Canuck, Dixon Ward. Dixon, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Trevor. Good, good. So before we get into uh, you know a bit of your playing career and your take on uh, some of these stellar Canucks rookies we got nowadays, uh, why don't you tell us a bit of uh, what you're up to nowadays? Well, uh, nowadays uh, we um, we own the um, the Okanagan Hockey Group here in uh, uh, main office in Penticton, which uh, uh, we have uh, hockey academies in Penticton, Edmonton, Whitby, Austria, England, hockey camps uh, uh, all over Western Canada and in Europe, and also uh, we're in partnership with the WHL and on and off ice testing, the WHL combine testing, so. Yeah, lots going on with the development of young players and um, having a lot of fun. Well, having fun is the most important thing. I know I, I know all about having fun just getting married and whatnot, so uh, I, I hope the fun times keep rolling for me. Um, <laughs> for you, though, let's. I want to start with uh, where you're from. So you were born in uh, Leduc, Alberta. Did you grow up an Oilers fan? I mean, you, you were kind of around that area in, in their heyday in the 80s, I imagine. So Yeah, I did for sure. I grew up... Uh, when Gretzky was there in the heyday, and uh, and all those uh, those guys and those great teams that they had, so absolutely 100% uh, two Blue Oilers fan uh, from my whole childhood, and uh, it was exciting times to be an Oilers fan, obviously in those days, and got to see a lot of amazing things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I mean, Gretzky's the obvious one, but was there other ever another Oiler that you modeled your game after? Did you have a have a favorite player on that team, perhaps other than the great one? Well, I mean, it's easy to pick the the obvious ones, right? But they were all great: Messier and Anderson, and Yari Curry, and Paul Coffey, and uh, and all those guys were were an exciting group to watch. So I was a fan of all of them, to be honest with you. And it wasn't ever a a a, um, a point where you're modeling your game after any of those guys. Those guys were real deal NHL players, right? I was a 12 year old kid that had. Uh, no concept of what it all meant except it was exciting to watch but um, Gretzky was obviously uh, always my 
uh, my young hero or hero as a young player and and uh, tried to emulate anything I could from the color of his skate blades to his jersey tuck. I did it all when I was a kid. So um, he was a guy I, I uh, idolized for sure. Yeah, well, I'd, I don't blame you for bleeding uh, the blue and orange back in the day there. But but how about nowadays? Are you still bleeding the blue and orange after uh, 12 of uh, 13 years missing the playoffs? Or how's that going for you? <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> I'm more of a black and gold fan right now with the Boston Bruins the way they're going. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'm sure Canuck fans love to hear that just as much, Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet they do. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm also a Boston Bruin alumni, so I... I feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I can't, uh, I can't get mad at you for that one. When you when you suited up for that team in the NHL, you you got all the reason for the world to cheer for them. So yeah. um, maybe uh, unless you got uh, some nice things to say about Brad Marchand, I guess no one in Vancouver would have a problem well, with that I either. Do have, I do have nice <laughs> things to say about him. <laughs> I think he's a fantastic hockey player. Um, there's a few things that <clears throat> he partakes in that I'm sure most of us would like to see uh, not happen but as far as a player goes and what he's accomplished he's had a great year and he's he's doing a great job in the playoffs and can't take away the fact that he's in my opinion one of the top five players in the league right now and he's showing it yeah i know i agree with you there and now uh, my co-host kyle and i have talked about it on this podcast before and you know just just showering some love for brad marchand because you know even though he does get that hate you know, the fact that he was able to really elevate his game into another level just three seasons ago after he's been in the league all this time was pretty incredible. And, you know, it's he's a big reason why they're the front runners to win the Cup right now. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah. So you you, you bled blue and orange. You bled black and gold. You also bled uh, some green and black back in the day at the University of North Dakota. So uh, I know you're a legend over there. So how about this? If you could sum up your time at uh, the University of North Dakota with one word or phrase, what would you say? Um, instrumental in uh, in giving me an opportunity to move into pro hockey for sure. Would have never ever had that opportunity if I didn't go to that specific school at that time. Um, learned a heck of a lot about myself and about what it took to be a player from uh, from the staff there and that experience in that league. It was tremendous for me. So it was an instrumental part of my development process, which was. Uh, uh, inevitably the reason I uh, got a chance to play in the NHL. Well, I, I'm glad you took the modest route there. When you said instrumental, I thought you were going to talk about yourself, you know, over 100 goals, 100 assists at the university, you know, pretty <laughs> instrumental in their success, right, Dixon? <laughs> I was good at standing at the back door tapping in pucks that my line mates passed me, so <laughs> that's what I was good at. <laughs> as long as you can find your sweet spot, you're good to go, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... How about how did you even get to the University of North Dakota in the first place? Was did you go through the tour of all the schools in the area? How about so that all play out for you? Well, I was playing junior A hockey in Alberta. Um, to be honest with you, I was uh, a real late developer, so uh, physically. So it was until grade twelve where I actually grew about eight inches and gained sixty pounds in my in my twelfth grade, and that sort of changed everything as far as opportunity goes. So I went to junior A, I was in Red Deer uh, in junior A. And then I, you know, had a good year. Um, um, First year, started to get some attention from schools into my second year, put up some really good numbers um, and had, you know, a bunch of opportunities in the U.S. And I did, I took, I think, four or five recruiting trips um, all the way from Denver out to out to New York and RPI and different schools I looked at in North Dakota was 
was the last one I visited, and I knew right on the spot that's where I wanted to go. I think they, I think they had the Oak Ridge Boys singing the national anthem that, so that sold me. So I was I was good to go at North Dakota at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if that's if that's the selling point. I mean, you weren't talking about uh, all the girls wandering around in minus thirty degree weather. I guess in the summertime that's not the case, but. Yeah, uh, pro- yeah. probably a few We're not there in the summertime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't the weather that brought me there. I'll tell you that. I was, I was from the Edmonton area. I was acclimated to the cold weather, so it wasn't a big transition for me. Yeah, fair enough, Dixon. Uh, so I'll fast forward from your illustrious career there to uh, your time with the Vancouver Canucks. You're obviously a seventh round draft pick. Uh, so when you were drafting the seventh round of the Canucks, did you think at the time, like, what, what did you think your odds were of making the NHL of being, uh, being a late round pick like that? Um, slim. <laughs> I think they're slim for anybody, but um, I think, um, you know, obviously... Uh, you, you always think, okay, there's a chance. There's lots of work to be done, right? And I went into, that was before I went into school, um, so I knew I had a, long, a, lot, a lot of time to develop and get better. And um, even when I came out and signed with the Canucks, I mean, my my biggest worry or my biggest fight with the Canucks over contract was trying to get extra couple grand in the American League because that's where I figured I'd be anyway. Um, uh, it turned out a little bit different than that, uh, but. Um, yeah, you never know. I mean, obviously, when you get drafted, you know at least you're on the radar. Um, but as we all know, there's no guarantees of anything. It takes takes hard work and timing and uh, and luck and everything combined in between. Yeah, there you go. It's uh, it, it is a long road. You're right. I'm always curious about that perspective, though. Um, you, you know, being drafted in the NHL is one thing, but you're right. In the later rounds, it's, uh, things are less and less certain. But you were able to uh, kill it at North Dakota, and then you hopped into the Vancouver Canucks in the 92-93 season and put up one of the best rookie seasons in Canucks history. Uh, even though your time in Vancouver was, was what wasn't the longest, it was a little short-lived, you know, how does it make you feel looking back on that incredible rookie season now? Well, I mean, it's fine. And, and, the, and, the, and the fun part is that, you know, where I am now, I, I get to see a lot of my old teammates there quite often. Kirk McLean and Greg Adams and uh, Dave Babich and Yerke Lume and Cliff Ronning and you know those guys are all around there, right? So I see them as part of the alumni, um, you know, a few times a year. So it, it's easy to remember those days and think fondly on them. We had great teams back then in Vancouver. In fact, that year there was probably a better team that year than than the team that went to the Cup the next year. Um, we just got beat by a, a hot LA Kings team uh, in the playoffs, but uh, we had a lot of points that year as a team and, and a very successful season and a lot of good players. I mean, I think there was eight guys on that team that had 20 goals. You don't see that very often. And uh, so it was a lot of fun and it was surrounded by a lot of good players. And that's the key. If you're going to put up numbers, you got to be surrounded by good players. That's just the facts at any level. And so I was fortunate to, to start my NHL career with, with real good players. Well, yeah, and you look at that team, you're right, 820 goal scorers. It was a lot of amazing talent, and I'm sure fans are curious to know, like, what was it like playing with guys like Pavel Burry and Trevor Linden? I mean, you know, two of the uh, two, two very different skill sets, but two of the most talented players in Canucks history right there. Yeah, I mean, that, that obviously um, getting a chance to play with those guys was uh, was great. I mean, I'm still friends with Trevor today. He was a he was a big influence on me, even though he was younger than me. He was already the captain at that point, and 
and uh, you know his intensity and his leadership and his his professionalism uh, is legendary in Vancouver. I don't have to tell anybody that. But, but uh, and Pavel was just in a, he just created excitement, right? I mean, everybody was excited about what was going to happen next with this guy and what he was going to pull out of his tickle trunk on every any given shift. And I was fortunate that I had a, a chance to play with him quite often. Um, and I would, you know, seriously, all I have to do is throw the puck out in front of him somewhere, and he was going to win a race. So uh, I enjoyed playing with him, and I got fortunate enough I got to play with him again at the end of my career in New York, which was which was fun to see him come full circle as well. And near the end of our careers, it was pretty cool. Yeah, well, you, you talked about finding that sweet spot, those tap-ins at North Dakota, getting the puck to Bury in Vancouver. You, you, you knew how to make it work, right, Dixon? <laughs> yeah, well, you have to adapt. That's the name of the game. <laughs> there you go. I'm kind of curious, too. In, in ter- never mind the talent on that team, but there were some, some pretty uh, pretty awesome personalities as well with Gino Ojic, Sergei Mameso, or Sergio Mameso, my bad. Yeah. Um, maybe t- tell me well, the guy who, who stood up the most in the locker room. Like, who, who was the funniest guy on that team? Well, I think Gino for sure Gino, was the biggest yeah. character. There's no, there's absolutely no question. The stories are legendary. Right. Um, um, he was just a, he was a very interesting guy that came from a, you know, a very different culture than the rest of us. Um, but uh, a guy that had a bigger heart and a bigger will for his team than than I've ever seen. And um, it was a, it was a, it was a treat to be around him and. To, and to he would make you laugh. There's no question about it, whether he was trying to or not. Um, but I know he was beloved by every guy in that locker room because you know what he did for a living, and uh, he'd stick stick up for anybody at any time. Yeah, I know. Definitely one of the most respected uh, Canucks in team history. Do, do you got any uh, any Gino stories that stand out to you? Anything that uh, that comes to mind when you think of Gino? <laughs> well, no. The, I always tell the you know I get a lot of them, but probably not going to share them with you at this point. But the, <laughs> fair enough. The, the um the the I used to sit next to him in the in the stall and <clears throat> and and Gino I always used to laugh. He, he he spoke half of three languages, so they in any given sentence there would be French and English and Algonquin all mixed together. Um, so you had to really learn to listen. Um, and I'm being somewhat facetious on that, but it was. Uh, I sat next to him in the locker room, and he'd tell me stories, and he'd tell me this and that. And, and his nickname for me was Ugly. That's that's my name was. I was the rookie. My he did. I don't even know if he knew my real name. It was just Hey Ugly, get me some tape. Um, and so later on, and as our careers went on, and, and um, he's playing. I think he was playing in Montreal. I was playing in Buffalo, skating around a warm up, and I can just hear this guy screaming, Hey Ugly, Hey Ugly. I looked down the ice, and Gino's just laughing, standing at the blue line, laughing at me calling me ugly uh, as I'm skating around a warm-up. And we had a good chuckle and a good chat after the game. And uh, One of those guys that uh, was loyal to everybody you ever played with. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, Even that's... if you were ugly. <laughs> I can't believe calling you ugly. You got those You got those blue eyes like me, Dixon. Come on. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would have taken it personally if I were you. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I think uh, you know it's, it's it's good to see Gino around the Canucks games nowadays too. Everyone's happy that his uh, his health has improved as well, and yeah, yeah definitely one of the most uh, the biggest characters in Canucks history for sure. Um, I, I'm going to change gears a bit to to your trade uh, to the LA Kings. So, um, how what was it like being traded from the team that uh, just beat you in the playoffs the year before? How, how was that feeling when you found out about it? Well, it was it was. 
interesting, put it that way. Obviously, the first time you get traded and um, is, is never easy, and, and it takes some time for it to really sink in. <clears throat> but it's a mixture of, you know, of regret and excitement all at the same time, right? Like, um, my second year in Vancouver, back in those days, things were a lot different than they are now as far as, you know, uh, young guys in the NHL, um, you know, started at the bottom and, and, and really had to work their way up. Um, you know, I had 22 goals my first year. I came in I came in the second year. I'm on the fifth line playing wing with Tim Hunter and John McIntyre. Um, so, it, you know, it's different now. You, you come in as a rookie and you, you play well. You, you're a top six guy and you're, you're on your way. But it was different then. Pat Quinn was like this veteran players. Uh, we had a lot of veteran players. <clears throat> uh, the, the league was not nearly as young as it is now, and so you know it, 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 so it was a struggle for for young players, especially guys that weren't first round picks, right? So and and weren't a side profile. So when I got traded, I was like, okay, well, a new start in LA and exciting. I got a chance to play with my childhood hero and Gretzky and, and Yari Curry and Luke Robitaille and these guys. So that was exciting. Um, in hindsight. It wasn't a great experience for me because it was it was a little bit of a mess in LA when I got there. Uh, I certainly missed playing with the Canucks and I fit in good with the Canucks, but it's, it's the way the game goes. You got to adapt and move on. And um, but it was uh, it was an interesting time for sure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, even though things may not have gone the way you wanted to in LA, um, I'm, I'm just looking at your stats from that '95-'96 season. You ended up back in the AHL with the Rochester Americans. 35 points in 19 playoff games, uh, helped lead the Rochester Americans to uh, the Calder Cup, uh, and then it obviously kind of sparked your career in Buffalo. But yeah, tell, tell me about kind of uh, that season in the AHL and, and the, the success you had down there. Well, yeah, I mean, I went, shuffled around, went to LA, went to Toronto, couldn't really find a, a real comfortable spot, right? And so sometimes you have to take a step back, take two forward. So you know, I went into Buffalo as a free agent, um, had a really good training camp. I think I led the preseason in scoring, but they had a predetermined plan for me, and that was to go to the American League. So I went down there, and, and I had two choices. I had a great coach. John Tortorella was my coach in, in Rochester, and he just I just said, listen, you got to do whatever you can to get me back up there and teach me how to kill penalties and teach me how to be more responsible defensively and whatnot to find myself a role because there were six guys on every team that were better than I was so I wasn't going to be a top six in the NHL so I had to figure a way to be a good third or fourth line guy and he really helped me with that and 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 uh, you know I always had offensive ability my my weakness was my speed and so in the American League I could really score it's tough for an NHL but I, I really reevaluated the way I played and, the, and, and what my priorities were and uh, had a real good successful season there had a lot of fun and then obviously went up to Buffalo and got back and scored 20 goals again in Buffalo so um, it was a really positive thing for me in hindsight to to reevaluate mid-career and, and and decide how badly I wanted to be a player yeah and that's really interesting that you bring up John Tortorella as well because you really do hear mixed things from different NHL players and uh, it's interesting to hear that he really helped your game I, I'm gonna even sidetrack for a second uh, like John Tortorella is a guy that obviously wasn't great in Vancouver, but what can you say about how he was able uh, to change his coaching style, maybe similarly to the way that you were able to change your game? Well, yeah, I mean, when I had him, he was—he hadn't even been in the NHL yet, right? So he's just starting out in the American League, and and he was—and he's a 
you know, privately, you know, outside of the public perception of him, he, he cared about his players. He worked extremely hard. He was, he was a very smart coach. Um, you know, his personality worked well to motivate me. We had a really good, strong relationship. Um, and I trusted him. And so, um, obviously, <clears throat> when he went on to NHL and <laughs> different areas, he had success in some areas and, and non-success in others. And that's, like you said, no different than really being a player. It's about finding that, that sweet spot that works for you and you have the right group around you. So, you know, I'm sure that he's had some years that he'd like to have do-overs as players would. But, um, you know, he, I, I can only say what he did for me was excellent. And and it led to, you know, a good career in Buffalo. And uh, we are at that time of year where the Stanley Cup is going to be handed out. And you also had uh, your chance to play for the Stanley Cup with those Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I won't stir up too many bad memories, Dixon, but maybe tell me. uh, (laughs) Too late. (laughs) Too late. Oh, no. Sorry about that. (laughs) Just just think about Gino Ojek. You'll be all good. Yeah. Um, (laughs) How about you tell me some of your best memories uh, for playing for the Stanley Cup? Uh, You know, every kid's dream, so. Well, I think it's, you know, for any hockey player, the opportunity, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs is, is really a true opportunity for everything um, to disappear and you focus 1,000% on playing every day. You know, you know, you don't have, you're not mowing the grass, you're not looking after kids, you're, which is all fun stuff, but you're 100% focused on the path and the course at hand, so... That was a, and we played a lot of playoff games in Buffalo over that stretch of three or four years, and and uh, I always was super excited. I had I had more success in the playoffs over the course of my career, I think, than I did uh, in regular season because I was just so fired up to play, and I and I was used in a real specific role in a lot of those times, and it's a lot easier to play when you know exactly what your job is every day, and and I had a great team around me, and 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 we had. Uh, just so much excitement, uh, and uh, when the town's behind you and everything's Buffalo Sabres, it just uh, it's just an amazing experience. And going to the Stanley Cup Finals is is like nothing else because all the whole hockey world eyes are on two teams, and it's, it's super exciting. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, you did have some good runs there, put up some some decent numbers of the Sabres in the playoffs. What what was it like, you know, as, as a guy who was playing against the top lines uh, most nights, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Uh, what was it like, you know, saying the Stanley? You're in the 1999 Stanley Cup Final. You're going up against, you know, Mike Medano and whatnot. Like, how was that experience for you? Well, we uh, Michael Peck and I um, played together for five, four or five years. So, and you know. He, he was a great defensive centerman, but also had offensive upside. And so, as a line, I think we had Vaclav Verada was our winger. Great name, man. Great name. We, yeah, we loved playing against the top lines, whether it was a Legion of Doom in Philly, or whether it was uh, Lemieux and Yager in, in Pittsburgh, or whether it was Madano and Hall and those guys in, in Dallas. Because we felt we were we were better defensively than they were, and we could take advantage and, be, and, and score points against them. So our goal wasn't always just to shut them down. It was to create turnovers and, and to – we wanted to be plus every game, not even. And so we attacked offensively, whether we were shorthanded or whether we were even strength. Uh, we were always out there trying to score, but we, we, we were better defensively than most lines. So it gave us, gave us the advantage to create uh, more offense as a group. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's again quite the experience going up against those names you mentioned there. Uh, I'll ask you this: you know, of, of all the players you face in the NHL, who did you you hate facing off against the most? Whether it's from he, he, either uh, an offensive standpoint or a physical standpoint. 
Um, I hated Chris Jelios because he's the dirtiest player I've ever played against, and he was good, and he was really good at it. Um, um, so I, uh, those guys, uh, for all different reasons, right? He was just tough, and he, and he didn't care if he was breaking your wrist or anything. That was the days back then, and he was great at it, and he, he had a Hall of Fame career to prove it. But <clears throat> um, the toughest guys to stop for me, and the, the, the guy struggled with the most was uh, Jaeger. Uh, he's just so big and so strong and so long that he was very difficult to stop one-on-one because uh, he, he was so smart at spinning off people and once he got, a, once he got position on you, there's, there's no hope because he's just too big, too strong and too long uh, to defend. So he was always a real battle. Yeah, fair enough. It's, if there's one guy that's uh, going to be toughest to play against, I guess Jaeger's not a bad name to say. Yeah, he's very tough, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So I, I want to ask you this too because I, I always get a little bit jealous of the guys who, who get to spend some time playing in Switzerland and uh, spend some time over there traveling, one of the most beautiful countries in the world in my mind. So how about you tell me about uh, your, your experience in Switzerland towards the end of the career? Did, did you love it or did you love it? I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. I, I, it was a real, real awesome experience. Um, it was, a, it was a real good hockey experience. Again, I was had good success uh, offensively over there, and when you haven't good uh, good success as a player, it's it's fun playing anywhere. Doesn't matter what league it is. Um, but you know, it's a highly professional place. It's a beautiful country, as as you know. Um, and it, it was a real neat experience uh, for me and my family at that time. Uh, so I, I'm very glad uh, that I went over there. And in fact, I. I wish I would have stayed over there the first time I went and not come back to New York. I wish I would have just stayed and played two or three more years in Switzerland. But I uh, wanted to get back to the NHL, and, and, um, uh, but in hindsight, I wish I would have stayed because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, I can't, can't blame a guy for trying to make the NHL. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's everyone's dream growing up. So as, as awesome as Switzerland is, as, as, you know, as much as it might be better than New York, I uh, can't blame you on that one, Dixon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you you ended up breaking uh, home a Spangler Cup there, uh, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. What, what was that like playing for the Spangler Cup? Oh, it's it's the greatest tournament in all the world. It's awesome. so much fun. I mean, Davos, Switzerland is is Whistler on steroids and and beautiful, and um, the, the the whole town is is just in a Spangler Cup frenzy the entire week, and uh, we had a tremendous time there. I played in it twice. Um, while I was over there, and, and uh, the last time uh, we won, we ended up winning it, and that was super exciting. And um, and uh, something I'll never forget, and it was a uh, you know lifelong memories. That's for sure. Uh, I'll turn it more to the present day. Uh, I definitely want to ask you about a couple of the Canucks rookies and uh, and and whatnot. But even before I get to that, you know, as someone who's working in a hockey school right now, training some of the games uh, next young stars. Uh, how does how has things changed for you in that perspective? Like the game is obviously headed towards more speed and skill. How does that impact the way that you and uh, teachers at your school teach the game to young kids? Well, it, you know, when we're when we're talking about pure hockey skill development, it, it's changed. It's changed a lot, both on and off the ice. Uh, on the ice, as you said, uh, speed and puck skill um, is more important now than it ever has, and and. So we, you have to find you have to find uh, new progressive ways to to work on those things. Um, 
and that's you know that's that's the constant uh, conversation that we have is how do we be more efficient in, in our on ice instruction, our skating, our dynamic skating, our lateral movement, our puck skill training, and then be able to make sure that we're also trying to increase hockey IQ of every player that we have. And then obviously off the ice, the stuff we do in the gym um, is, is comprehensively different than we were doing when we were 16, 17, 18 years old. It's, it's, uh, it's less about trying to get as big and as strong and as powerful as you can, and it's more about quickness and speed and agility and, and uh, fitness levels and functional training more than putting 500 pounds on a squat rack and uh, and trying to get your legs as big as they can. Um, it's an entirely different uh, scientific method to training um, and injury prevention and all those things. So they're all they're all progressive, and, and it's all about emulating wh- what they're doing at the highest level, and that's how we have to teach 14-year-old kids. Uh, if the Canucks, if this is the way they're playing, then this is the way we have to teach kids to play. Um, and, and more importantly than that, uh, it's about what it means to be a hockey player and a good person and a good teammate and a good citizen. That's a huge part of what we do in our programming is, is really stress that you can be as fast and as skilled as you want, but uh, if you're not a good person and a good teammate, you're not going to succeed, and uh, that's a big part of it. Well, very well said, Dixon. And I'm, I'm going to circle back to one other question, more of an opinion based on anything. You know, we have Boston and St. Louis in the Stanley Cup final right now. Uh, they're actually two of the, the bigger, more physical teams in the league today. Do you think that their presence in the finals is going to – to change the future outlook of the game at all? Yes, it always does. It always does. Um, <clears throat> anytime, you know, and it tells over time, over the years, is, I don't know if copycat's the right word, but we'll use it. It's sort of a copycat league. So I was going to look around and say, okay, well, you got big, and I'm a big believer in big and heavy skill. Um, there has to be skill. doesn't matter how big you are, there has to be skill involved. Uh, and there's there's always a there's always a healthy balance. I mean, Boston's got some smaller skilled players, but they also have some depth on, on heavy big players that that skate well and, and are smart players. So I think you're, you're, there's a lot of talk right now about the two big heavy teams in the final and and uh, and the smaller skilled teams that had really successful regular seasons didn't make it. And you're talking about Tampa and you're talking about Calgary and teams like that that. Uh, that found it difficult in the playoffs, and, and the NHL right now is is a really interesting uh, league, and it's the only league in any pro sport where the the game comprehensively changes once the playoffs starts. Um, and so it's really difficult to 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 balance building a team to make the playoffs, or do you build a team to win the playoffs? Because if you build a team to win the playoffs, you may not even make the playoffs. And if you build a team to make the playoffs, you won't win the playoffs. So it's it's really, for management now, it's really difficult for them to have a healthy balance to make sure they have enough speed and skill to get through the regular season, but enough size and heaviness to, to sustain a, a four rounds of heavy playoff hockey. And so that's the challenge for them, for everybody right now, is, is trying to get that balance. Yeah, you're right about that. It's uh, it's not an easy job being an NHL general manager, especially with the salary cap. Uh, so, someone tell Jim Benning this. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to ta- ask you about the, these Canucks rookies. You know, as someone who was uh, a pretty stellar Canucks rookie himself, someone who played with some stellar Canucks rookies, uh, what, what can you say about what you've seen from uh, Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson in Vancouver? What do you think makes them such special players? Well, uh, I mean... They they play the game 
you know, they're the quintessential uh, good, young, fast-skilled player that succeeds right now. Um, you know, obviously they've both been tremendous players long before they got to the NHL, right? Um, Brock Pester was a tremendous player at University of North Dakota for a couple of years, and um, Pedersen was, you know, great in Sweden as, a, as an undersized, underdeveloped, under-everything, uh, over-skilled player with, that's got a mentality that seems to work for him. Um, I don't think anybody, including the Canucks, would have anticipated he'd get off to such a great start because he was, you know, we've all seen him. He's he's not a big, heavy guy, but he's tremendously intelligent and tremendously skilled, and he's got a very strong will to compete, which which is a really good combination. So I'm really excited to see him develop uh, into a man in this league and, and to see the things that he's going to be able to accomplish. And Bester's just, you know, he's pure speed, great shooter, uh, and a competitor, a different type of player, but uh, been super effective for him. Yeah, for sure. And uh, how, how close of attention do you pay to the University of North Dakota? Like, were you watching uh, Besser during his time there, or were you kind of getting to know him as he made it to the NHL? No, I watched. I watched. I watched some of the some of the stuff. And my buddies are are coaching in North Dakota, and I watched some of that stuff. And my son now plays in the same league in Nebraska Omaha, so I I paid a lot of attention to the, to the guys in college now. And uh, you know, I watched North Dakota there when. Tyson Jost was there because my son played with him and he's from this area and uh, played in Penticton here so I keep track on a lot of that stuff and I did watch Besser when he was playing with Schmaltz and Kajula maybe one of the best college lines we've seen in the last 15 years um, and win a national championship um, so I watched quite a bit of that stuff and yeah, he was pretty impressive um, at that time. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's funny. I think when he was drafted by the Canucks in 2015, and I think there's a lot of people who were saying, "Who's his Besser kid?" And then he kind yeah. of kind of rose to prominence rather quickly with his performance in North, in North Dakota. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a fantastic NHL player, and you know the Canucks got another so so called super rookie about to make the jump next year in, in Quinn Hughes. As someone who made the jump from college to the NHL, uh, what advice would you give to Quinn Hughes if you were if you were talking to him? Uh, well, I think the biggest advice for any young player, especially one that that uh, he's going to come in with a with a fair amount of fanfare, right? He's not some guy that's coming in to, trying to make the team. He's going to be playing there, and uh, and for him, it's about consistency. It's about learning how to how to perform as a professional on any given day on a consistent basis. You're going to get tired, you're going to get run down, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to have bad days. And the mental ability to just get out there and, 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 and keep playing on a consistent basis night after night when you're in St. Louis on a Tuesday night in January, um, you got to be able to perform. And so that's the biggest thing for any young player. Uh, we see it lots. They come in the first five or ten games and they're awesome and everyone's like, holy cow, these guys are great. Uh, and then it catches up with them, and the shine and the luster of the NHL wears off, and it's now to, it gets to be a grind. And that's that's what true professionals uh, deal with is is learning how to uh, get the job done uh, on any given night uh, in any given situation, no matter how tired or how burnt out you are. You got to get her done, and that's that's what the young guys have to learn. Yeah, it's it's a grind as you would know, Dixon. And uh, before I let you go, how about a little prediction? Uh, this this might be a little bold, but you had 52 points in your rookie campaign in the NHL. Any chance that uh, that Quinn passes you on the Canucks rookie scoring list? 
<laughs> I don't know. He's a D-man. It all depends on how much power play time they're going to give him, but I'm guessing he'll be running the power play sooner than later, so I wouldn't be surprised if he put up really good numbers. Yeah, I know. He might be... Uh, <laughs> Canucks might get a few games into the season. You might be seeing the full two minutes out there. In, in yeah, time he got that right. He's got yeah. that skill. Um, yeah, speaking of skill, Dixon, you had it, and uh, I know you, you, you skilled your way through this interview, man. I, I appreciate you coming to join us on the Silky and Filthy podcast. And uh, all the best to you and your future endeavors as well. Yeah, my pleasure, Trevor. Thanks for having me. All right. A big thanks to Dixon Ward for joining us on Silky and Filthy. Great interview, man. You know, I love the story about Gino Ojic. Uh, he, and he gave some advice for uh, Quinn Hughes uh, entering his first rookie season. You know, Just like Dixon Ward, Quinn Hughes is going to make the jump from college to the NHL, uh, albeit younger than, than Ward was at the time. But still a big jump regardless, man. But uh, I, I kind of posed this question to him at the end. Dixon Ward had 52 points in his rookie season. Is there any chance Quinn Hughes passes him in his rookie year? 50 points is a lot for any defense, but never mind. Yeah, a rookie, that's a lot but... of points. Come on, Trevor. Be nice to the kid. I'm just saying, let's let's get let's 40. 40's awesome. Well, 40's, 40's hard. Great, yeah. 40's great. Didn't uh, Dalin get Dolan just above 40? 40. Yeah, yeah he, he passed 40. 40. And that was a great season. Quinn, I mean, just just do your best. I'm sure you're best. And, and this is not an understatement. Quinn Hughes is best. It's 35 points plus this year, in my opinion. You got EP. You got you got 15 assists right there out of your own zone in the offensive zone. You got 15 assists right there. 35 points. Don't listen to tra- don't ask. I'm, don't, I'm just come asking on. A question, man. I know you're asking the question. You're trying to get an answer here, but I feel bad. Like I, I feel like people are gonna actually have those expectations for him. And yeah, who knows? He is he is that good. I, I'm not gonna lie. Quinn Hughes is crazy. Yeah, he's a crazy player to watch. And I think with uh, Quinn Hughes, it's very similar to Elias Pettersson. The risk is injury. Yeah, they are they are both smaller guys. I, uh, I do Andy, I do wonder man. how Quinn Hughes will do. Uh, Anyone against, can get hurt, but you know, especially a defenseman at that size playing against big bodies in the Pacific Division. Uh, who knows, man? He's a pretty shifty guy, though. He is very shifty. So so Dixon Ward, when did he come to the Canucks? Like after college? How old was he? Yeah, so Dixon Ward was twenty two or twenty three wow. at the time. So he he was drafted in the seventh round. Okay. And. You know, when he drafted in the seventh round, we, we talked about it with him on the show. You Shout know? out. <laughs> he he said the chances were slim. He didn't think he was making the NHL. I'm always curious on guys and, and where their perspectives are at that point. But yeah, he grinded through four years in North Dakota, one of the most prolific scorers in that school's history. Uh, came to the Canucks in 92-93 and ripped off 20 goals in his rookie year. And now Quinn Hughes is coming coming up after, what, two years at Michigan. Young age. What, is he, he's going to be 20 next year, right? Yeah. He's wow. What were you doing? You know, two years after college, you're still in school. But do you remember what you were doing exactly? What were you working? Oh, I think I was still cooking at a retirement home at that point, man. Woo! Yeah. yeah Making puree people... dinner for the old people, man. Yeah. What is that? Like stuff dinner. that's easy to eat. Yeah, puree dinner is for like the people who like can't chew at all. So you just have to like basically like blend it all up. I thought it was ice cream when I first looked at it. My first day, I was like, these like a scoop of brown, scoop of green, scoop of white. And I was like, oh, is whoa, this whoa. like ice cream or something? Are you allowed to tell us this? Yeah, well, why not? It's what happens when you can't eat, man. That's what. That's what. Or you can't chew it yourself. That's what your grandpa's eating. Your grandpa's no, eating. No, man, my my grandparents. I'm not your. No, not normal food. No, 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 not specifically <laughs> your grandparents. I'm just talking about a lot of a lot of people have their their old folks in homes, and if they don't got teeth, they're eating brown stuff, green stuff, well, and it's white just, stuff. It's just meat, veggies, and potato. I know, like, I know. You know I've, I've eaten it before. It so what? Fine. So you were a, you were a chef there? Yeah. You cook that stuff, or you just like yeah, mush yeah. it up? No, it's it's. It's basically like, you know, it's normal meat, but you just blend it with some gravy and whatnot, right? Wow. Food processor, you know? Wow. 
It's mind blowing for you. Well, I that guess is, they wouldn't know this, you know, not being in a retirement home, right? That is mind blowing. That's what you have to look forward to, Kyle. And it makes sense. It's a quicker <laughs> way to eat too, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Well, man. if you're young and want to blend your food and. You know, a couple pieces maybe of it'll chicken. Be like, it'll be like a trend. Sauce, it'll be a trend sriracha. nowadays. Everyone likes their smoothies, and maybe oh. the next trend in a couple of years is like meat smoothies. You know, chicken and sriracha smoothie. <laughs> yeah, I've been making smoothies. They're good, man. Chicken you know, and every time though. every time I make a smoothie, I'm not gonna lie. I just want to slap myself in the face for paying seven bucks for for for, for a smoothie somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? You know how easy it is to make a smoothie. It's probably yeah. one of the the easiest things ever to do in your life. You don't even need a. You barely even need like any tools. You, you got to put a banana in a smoothie blender. Just fucking use your hands. Fruits, anything. Boom, bam. Seven, eight dollars? Nah. Yeah, you're a smart guy, man. You're a smart guy. And I'm going to ask your opinion about another smart guy. Who? Um, Dick's of War was pumping John Tortorella's tires there. Hey. Talked about how John Tortorella was his coach in Rochester in the AHL in the mid-90s there. Uh, kind of revamped Dick's Award's career a bit. Uh, so you heard a lot of good things about Tortorella from him. But on the Spit and Chicklets podcast recently, you had John Scott telling a story about John Tortorella and how he basically like shunned him from the team, didn't like the way he operated his business. And look at looking at recent NHL history, like John Tortorella is the most polarizing coach oh, yeah. of all time. Of our lifetime. Of our lifetime, for sure. Like, 100%. Are, are there any other coaches that are as polarizing as John Tortorella? Well, let's think about it. When did you start watching hockey? It would have been like 98, 99. Okay, so four or five-year-old. I started watching when I was six or seven. 2000, 2001, I started paying attention to coaches maybe like two or three years after that because I, I could say the same about you. Right when I started watching hockey, you just get hooked and you just want to know everything. So at an early age, when I started caring about coaches, John Tortorella was there. He was winning a Stanley Cup and he was a piece of shit when it came to how he presented himself to the media. And I was a young chap. I'm like, how the... F this guy just yells and swears. And he's, he's fucking winning Stanley Cups? He was a piece of shit back there. Now, look look now. He, he's kind of a bit more calmer, but don't get me wrong. He's still, he's still torts. And he's still having success. That, that's polarizing. He's the only one. Who, who's second? The only other coaches that come to my mind, and I'm, I'm feeling the Canuck bias here, but it's, it's Mike Keenan and Mark Crawford. But I, I don't even Mark know. Mark Crawford, really? Yeah, I think Mark Crawford was a hothead, right? There's a lot of players you hated him, right? Colorado, when he coached there, he, he was a you hothead. And in yeah. Vancouver. What, was he a hothead in L.A. and Dallas? I don't think we think we heard about it as much, but that's always kind of been his personality. He's always been like a, a, a guy that's blown up, and you know, like Brent Sopel, like his story was crazy, right? Talking about how how Mark Crawford basically shunned him, right? Yeah. Craw Crawford yelling at the Sedins all the time, like he was a hothead. He's not as boisterous as John Tortorella by any means, but I, I don't think Craw Crawford's quite as polarizing. But I'd say he's up there. Like he had success, Damn. but he's pissed a lot of players off. I'm trying to think of coaches myself, and now you got me thinking of. Of Crawford, if you ever listen to Crawford getting interviewed, and it's not a uh, like post game, you'd be surprised at how intense this guy is on the rink. The guy is so soft spoken. Mark Crawford, what's what's your what's your best me memory of of Crawford when he was uh, behind the bench with the the West Coast oh, Express? Hmm. I don't know if I have one specifically, but I, I was just, yeah, again, I used to always remember how angry he would get at the referees. Like, he'd be oh, over yeah. the bench, he'd be, his face would be going red, he'd have the forehead vein popping out, just screaming. But you're right, it's, it's a weird juxtaposition because he is a very soft-spoken guy. Yeah. He was almost like too soft-spoken when he was in Hockey Day in Canada, you know? Do you remember that? Oh, I always yeah. thought that he, he... was on, oh, no, no, I don't remember that. I, I stopped watching, kind of. Was he... Yeah, he was in Hockey Night in Canada for a while. Like, when, just, though? Post 2011? Post 2012? Yeah, around that time, yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't really know. Yeah. Damn, that's surprising. 
Yeah, but again, I always thought he had like that golf announcer's voice, you know? Because he's yes. kind of soft spoken. He he'd is. Like, he'd be great for being like, oh, and Tiger Woods goes for the birdie <laughs> to win the PGA. Yeah, he would be good at that, actually. Yeah, he would be. Yeah. He would be good at he that. He wouldn't have the British accent, but you know. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, How about Bruce Boudreaux? Would you say he's polarizing? I, I don't know if he's as polarizing. Yeah. I, I think he's pretty well respected. It's just the, the, the lack of luck in the playoffs. How about Patrick Waugh? I know he hasn't been in the Patrick league. Patrick Wall would be polarizing. If he came back, right? It'd be kind of yeah. cool. I, yeah, he was polarizing for sure, I'd say. I almost think he was more... When I think of polarizing, I think you got to have yeah, you a lot of people who love him. He's got to have a lot of respect yeah. and hate. I think Patrick Wall as a coach has not as much respect. And a bit of longevity, so yeah, you can get that that real respect. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, why Mike Keenan comes to mind. He's been a guy who's been in the game for years and years. But when we started watching hockey, how much Mike, Ke- Mike Keenan was... Quite a bit. I mean, what was he like with St. Louis? Maybe that's before our Lu- time, but he was with Calgary time. for sure. He was with Calgary for sure, and they were, not, they were okay. Yeah. I mean, Vancouver fans would think he's... And <laughs> Florida, right? Yeah, he was in Florida, Florida as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's been everywhere, man. He's in the KHL right now, coaching oh, yeah. a team in China. Mike Keenan, what a, what a dude. Yeah. Imagine, exactly. did you ever ever have any crazy hockey coaches? Um, no, I didn't. I used to play against coaches that were crazy, like your typical like middle aged dad, like screaming at eight year olds to <laughs> to to back check and all this stuff. But, oh yeah. Uh, no, my coaches were chill, man. I remember I, I had this guy who was a coach. He was probably, he was short, man, like 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, okay. Well, like one of the best skaters I've ever seen. Like he was one Damn. of those guys where, where you thought maybe in this day and age he would have had a shot in the NHL. Whoa, this guy could, again, probably hey. been far. I was a kid, but this guy Shout could out, absolutely Surrey. fly, man. Like compared to anyone else I ever saw on the ice. Wow. When I was so, that young, yeah. He wasn't intense though. He wasn't polarizing. No, no, no. I didn't really have any polarizing. Yo, healthy out, Trevor. I know, okay, I'm trying to, man. You want to make up some stories, man? Do you want me to lie? No, I'm talking about these coaches. Like who else is polarizing? I'm I'm drawing a blank. No, I think Patrick Wall's a good one. I think Keenan and Crawford were like really the two ones I had. How in about mind, more man. more relevant though? I'm talking in this decade. I mean Quinville. I don't think he had that many issues with with other fan bases. You know, like I don't think he ticked people off the wrong way. People kind of cheered for him. They liked him. Yeah, a lot of success. I'd agree with you there. I do think that. The NHL today is moving away from polarizing coaches. I do think there's more of an emphasis on guys who are positive, players first. Yeah. Like, look at Willie D, Mr. Positive. Uh, that kept him in the oh, NHL man. for four years, right? So there, there are uh, a lot of these college coaches being hired are being hired because they're they're good communicators, they're good people. They're not necessarily hotheads or or anything like that. Like Michelle Terrian was probably another one. Oh wow, that's a good one. Yeah, I think Terrian's a pretty good one. Yeah, Terrian would be a good one because he won a cup. How a lot about of people hate him? Do you think any of these coaches could could like flip the script? And become a bit bit more intense. I'm looking at a guy like uh, Gerard Gallant. What if like Vegas ever had a bad year? I could see this guy fuming. Yeah, I would, I would almost think like Alain Vigneault because he's, hey. he's a guy who's you know pretty well respected in this market, but not in other markets. Yeah, is this is what fourth go around in the NHL? Things will go well in Philly. Oh. Maybe, maybe Coach V's get a little older, a little grumpier. Maybe he starts throwing down, man. Hey, we didn't talk about that much yet. Coach AV in Philadelphia. Can we just say this? He's coached in Montreal, Vancouver, New York, and Philadelphia. Living the dream. Yeah, it's a pretty sick life. Probably Philadelphia is uh, number four in that list of cities. But and that's a great city. Really, but yeah, it's a great city for sure. That's a great city. I would love to go to Philadelphia. I think he has a chance to do something good there. I mean, you see teams that have experienced players get coaches. Uh, well, their first time with a new coach. And things sometimes go well. And you're getting coached by... Vigneault, like Claude Giroux, Couturier, Voracek, Gostisbehere. 
heart. Like, you well, know, I think like, the really promising thing, thing about the Flyers too is like the defense is really, uh, really going to improve there as well. Like Travis Sanheim was an oh, absolute yeah. beauty towards the end That's of the season. Bad. I think Ivan Provorov. He had a bit of an off oh, year, but man. a lot of yeah. promise there. He's so fun to watch. Oh, for great sure, player man. to watch. Great player to watch. And even a guy like Nolan Patrick, Vigneault could maybe do something with him, take him to the next level. I like uh, that Travis Connecting guy too. Uh, yeah. They just have players there that have been in the league for quite some time now, and they're good players. And now they're getting a new coach, which again may boost the team's uh, morale for a certain amount of time. And that new coach is Vigneault. So good things could be coming for, for Philadelphia. Yeah. Plus, they also had a 20 year old goalie who just had a 917 yeah. save percentage. Connor. He doesn't even get mentioned in the in the rookie of the year discussion anymore with uh, Pedersen, Bennington, and all that. You but know, I coached a kid. A great year. I coached a kid named Connor, and he went in net, and he was the coolest kid. Coolest kid. You know, nobody else wanted to go in that, and he would just love doing it, and he was so good. Shout out to Connor. I guess Connors are good at playing net. That, hey, Connor Hart, right? What are you talking about? You know, it's Carter Hart, dude. Wow. Nice try, though. It was a great story. I liked it. <laughs> there you go. Silk and filthy, baby. <laughs> okay, I want to mention one more thing about polarizing, um, and I'm taking this a bit of a different direction, but we got to talk about the Aquilinis and these crazy accusations that have yeah, come out. Yeah, tell me about this, man. I'm hearing some bad things. Uh, this is almost like a Meanwhile in Canada, Meanwhile in Vancouver segment right here. Hey, why don't, why don't we just run let's it? Go, uh, let's just run it. I love this little theme song, man. Let's go. After a quick advertisement. Each day, a busy beaver can shift 10 times its own body weight. Alrighty then. I grew up in Canada. I have not been around someone who wasn't high on pot for the past 15 years. Nancy, please don't trip on me, baby, okay? Did we get her done? Well, that depends. Can you go fuck yourself? Do I look Canadian? We did it because we love our country, and not for any other reason, no other reason. They can throw the money uh, for the pension fund out the window, they can throw anything they want out the window. We came because we love Canada. Now it's actually time for Meanwhile in Canada, or maybe this is Meanwhile in Vancouver. Uh, the Aquilinis have come under fire this week for treating foreign workers very poorly on blueberry farms. Like apparently Luigi Aquilini himself in one of the accusations denied workers water for I, over an hour until they that. picked a certain amount of blueberries. Talk about bad bad working conditions, bad living conditions. Yeah, uh, poor ladies. It's, it's, it's pretty tough stuff to hear. And... I don't get it too political about it because it's, you know, their Aquilines released a statement saying, oh, this is the first we've heard about this. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like this the typical PR jargon. But yeah. I, I'm just kind of living in the fantasy like, is there any chance the Aquilines could be forced to sell the Canucks? If this it, actually, it, it's plausible at this stage because we don't really know a whole well, lot of the situation. Yeah, we don't know a whole lot. And if these allegations are true, there, there's more things about to come, come out of this. This is un unfortunate. I hope that, you know, the ladies who are part of this this accusation, you know, they get righted and and they can they can just move on from this because that that's just not right. All these accusations not right now. If this does lead to to the plausible Aquilini's being forced to sell the team, damn, you got my mind racing. We're doing this right now. Why not, man? Let's let's get let's go to fantasy land a little bit here. Hey, I mean, fantasy land. The NHL doesn't want this look and. You know, re you should read the press release uh, from Jim Chu of the Aquilini Group. It's on Francesco Aquilini's Twitter page. Yeah, you said it best. It's just a, it's just a PR thing, you and, know. But not only that, I do feel like it also kind of undermines the workers' accusations yeah. a bit too. Like, and if they're proven 
to be guilty here, the Aquilini group, then this is going to look even worse because they're really just kind of backtracking and backpedaling. Oh, man, we going here. So it, it doesn't sound like a great situation at all, but it could be like you talk, you talk about ownership, right? The Aquilinis are rumored to be pretty meddling owners. And yeah, like on a I'm, number of occasions, Francisco said like his emotions affect his decisions. I want to win a cup before my dad dies. That's what he said before, right? And when I think about good ownership, I think about the Illich family in Detroit. You know, talk about the absolute opposite of meddling owners. Like they were the owners that were always supported from a distance, never meddled in things. And you know what? They were very successful, right? 25 straight years in the playoffs, just from being positive, letting the professionals do what they do best. That sounds like the opposite of what the Aquilinis have done here. So, you know, my fantasy, my, my fantasy land is taking me to places where maybe the Aquilinis have to sell the Canucks. Maybe someone who actually knows how to be hands-off and be a good owner can take over this hockey team. So, sorry, you said what about the Illich family? About 25 years or was? Well, they were, like, they were made the playoffs for 25 years, but the main point about the Illiches is that they were really hands-off owners. Like, they didn't meddle in business like the Aquilinis have been rumored to be doing. And the Illich family, that's Detroit Red Wings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just zoned out there. It's all good. Doing a little editing out on the side here. Okay, so you're complete, completely right because it... We're going to get like really into business here, but I mean, you work in, in a extravagant business. If you don't have, oh, if you don't have good leadership at the top and some fucked up shit maybe happening from up there, it does have a trickle down effect. Even when you don't really mean it, it's just, it's just setting the, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? They're just setting the, the wrong tone from the top and that kind of leaks down into whatever else you got around you this could be a problem i wonder if the nhl is going to do something about it if these allegations are true yeah and, and i hope they do do something about it uh, and I'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about the story on silky and filthy because this is going to be a story that goes yeah. on for a while at this point right the, the accusation is coming out now and you know what with no with no hockey this is something to watch over the summertime that's wow sure, no hockey you're one of these guys eh? what do you mean one of these guys who are so bored of the Stanley Cup Finals, like you got people saying, "Oh, well, there's no hockey anymore. There's not much hockey." There's the Stanley Cup Finals out I'm right now. Talking about throughout the offseason. This the story's oh, not going to okay, develop in the next enough. week. Or I two. thought you were just yeah, one no, of those no. fans who've turned off their televisions Come on, during man. this time because Come it's Boston on, and man. St. Louis. Blah blah blah. The boring series. I, I, what type on, of hockey man. fan are you? Why are you looking at me? I'm not man. looking at you because you're across me. Okay? I'm not okay. We're you looking know? at you. We're looking at you through your headphones right <laughs> yeah, now. This is you. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard that bullshit around here? Not about around Boston Twitter? and St. Louis so much, but definitely about the Boston Carolina series. And really? that I'm I could... hearing it right now. I'm hearing are that people really? have turned off. Like the, the, really? we're talking about the six day break or the seven day break or whatever. The little holiday. No, it's been longer. It was longer than that, wasn't well, it? The Bruins had ten days yeah, off. The Sharks had. I think the Sharks had five days off. Five or six days off. So. People are talking about, oh, that's way too long of a break, and this is what we get. All year we just saw fast-paced, small teams, crazy deeks. Do your deeks, bro. Shout out Botchford, all that stuff. And we got Boston and St. I'm not going to watch this. I'd rather watch basketball. Get out of here. What's up? Are these are these the hockey fans we have? Maybe the hockey fans that I'm following. Yeah, well, you probably follow a lot of Canuck fans. A lot of Canuck fans do have their bias going with Boston in the playoffs. You know what? I'm going to be honest, man. I consider myself to be like pretty rational uh, in terms of my analysis, mm-hmm. but man, like when I look at the Stanley Cup final, it, I, like I really don't want Boston to win. It. I feel like that yeah, bias panel. I just feel, like, just feel like that bias panel over again, Come man. On. Yeah, crazy, man. It's been it's been a while. Get over it. What are your thoughts on the series, though? How are you liking it? Well, after game one, I 
I thought, like, man, if St. Louis plays the way they did in the second and third period, they're getting swept. Like, they got no hope in hell of winning this series. But, you know, they had, they had a strong period in game one, and in the game two, they bounced back tonight. Like, there was a lot of crazy physicality, crazy action. Yes. I'm so happy that Carl Gunnarsson scored the, the overtime what winner. What a bingo, eh? Oh, man, especially after ripping it off the post with less than two minutes left. Woo! Yo. I'm so happy for St. Louis, man. We gave you a round of applause earlier, but seriously, St. Louis, good for you. First playoff win. Now all you got to do is get three more. Well, I just want a long series. Just play six more games. I'm loving this hockey, and I've been I've been such an such an advocate for that faster pace hockey for all the goals, you know. And I thought I was gonna be one of the people who who disliked what I'd be watching because I'm still watching it. I kind of like it. Honestly, I'm I messing with this series. That you talked about the hits. Maybe I was missing missing that in hockey that that mean that meanness. Is that a word? That meanness, it is now, man. It is now. It is now. That comes with watching the hockey, you know? Because hockey's a tough-ass sport, and, and yeah, I, w- I would not want to play in this series. I, w- I wouldn't be cut to play in a series like this. It's crazy. <laughs> man, you know what I really love about this series is I do feel like it's almost like the perfect blend of, of skill and physicality and, you know, some of the greasy net crashes, too. Like, honestly, some of the craziest moments of the series have just been, like, crazy net front scrambles. Yeah, like, These are both big, heavy teams, like, to crash the net. There's a lot of moments where the puck's squirting around, and you're going, you're jumping out of your seat, you're pulling your hair, going, God, what's going to happen? No! Yeah. Oh! Yeah, 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 Trevor is that type of fan. It doesn't matter who's who's watching, or who's playing, I'm sorry. He goes crazy. It's like you're watching your home team play. Yeah, man. You just live for the moments. That's the, that's those the fun scrambles, thing, that's eh? The, that's the fun thing about being a sports no, fan I, sometimes. Again, I, I love this series. We talked about uh, how these two teams are are not liking each other and it's just game two i really think that this if if this goes the distance oh man it's gonna be one of those brutal series where where the team who wins the cup half the players can't even lift it over their heads it it seems like it's gonna be one of those series big bodies being thrown around that tory crew hit did you did you think that was charging was that let let me rephrase that did you think that was charging in the stanley cup finals quotations in the Stanley Cup finals probably not yeah by by definition yeah I do think it was a charge I mean he he did kind of stride and then glide a little bit but I I don't know man I I, I'm glad they didn't call it to be honest with you I thought I thought it was a good hit that's what that's what you like to see in the Stanley Cup playoffs man come on little little five little five nine guys getting down rocking a guy no helmet man that's gotta feel good dude that's gotta feel good you know that feels good hey Trevor smiling talking about the Boston Bruins I made it happen you heard it here well you didn't, you hey, didn't well, see it, but uh, you heard it here. You know, I'm Dick, still getting filthy, baby. Dixon and I spent a little time pumping Brad Marchand's tires, so it's actually a couple times in the show I've given Boston some love. Wow. Uh, even if I definitely throw my weight behind him. And Lewis, we have so. that one episode that's uh, Brad uh, Vancouver loves Brad Marchand. <laughs> Trevor Trevor almost quit after I made that the title. Um, <laughs> why don't we just talk about that a bit more? Why do? You, so you're not completely over 2011. I feel like I completely am. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I do feel like I'm I'm over it, but I, at the same time, I don't want to see Boston win. I want, yeah. to, see, I want to see St. Louis do it, man. I, I, Boston's won enough championships as a city. That definitely wages in the back of my mind. I definitely don't want to see Brad Marchand win. I think it's a lot more deserving guys to win the Stanley Cup, despite his unbelievable talent, incredibly mm-hmm. talented player. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the human being, I think I'd rather see some better <laughs> human <laughs> beings win. <laughs> oh, man. Trevor has want, that mad hate. You want to see fresh blood, man. Like I, I can't want to see St. Louis bump the slump. They've had Fair crazy enough. fans there. They've been there in, in the league for over 50 years. Uh, it'd be cool to see a, a new team get a, a cup win. So fair uh, enough. Yeah, and, and all behind St. Louis. That that seems like a very close team. It really does. They pulling for each other. 
they're playing some big boy hockey. It's it, it's good. It's good. Yo, Tarasenko, 10 game point streak. Hey. <laughs> hey. I'm telling you, great player. Great player. He's bringing it. I knew that he was going to start doing this in the Western Conference Finals, the Stanley Cup. He started out well. I'm liking it. Yeah, he's looking like a Novechkin light right now, man. He's Ooh. actually a beast, too. He's a pretty strong. big guy. He's strong on the puck. Strong, man. Definitely, man. Strong, man. Okay, uh, before we uh, get out of here, uh, Phil Kessel, I want to talk about that, how he uh, supposedly nixed a trade. Is that the word? Nixed, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's you, the word. It, uh, to Minnesota because he did not think that they were competitive enough to win a cup. And I just want to say, yo, can we just run Beauty of the Week right here before we leave? I was just thinking the same <laughs> thing, man. Let's go. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. I am beautiful in every single way. Unprofessional, unprecedented, and most recently, unconscionable. Okay, beauty of the week. It just goes out to uh, to someone in hockey who's, who's just a fucking beauty. And this week, I have to give it out to Phil Kessel. For how long ha- have people been saying, well, well, prior to his time at Pittsburgh, people, people were saying that this guy doesn't have a competitive bone in his body. He just skates around there, does his thing. He just likes scoring goals. No, this guy wants to win cups. And after winning a couple with the Penguins, and now rumored to be on the trade block because... Because Pittsburgh, they got a lot of work to do, and they still have Malkin and Crosby. I understand why they're thinking of doing this. Bill Kessel, I don't think he minds that that he may get traded. He seems like a pretty smart guy when it comes to the hockey world and how things work. This guy's passionate about the game. The fact that he still wants to go to a winning team tells me a lot at this point in his career. It tells me a lot still, man. Phil Kessel, he's, he's really turned it around uh, with his perception and how it's viewed. By people like us, by fans. Shout out to Phil Kessel, man. You, you, a, you a damn beauty. Yeah, I'm a Phil Kessel fan, man. I mean, I, I'm, apparently coaches don't like it very much, but he's just got so much skill, man. I know he like quietly put up what 90 points this year. Crazy, Crazy. season, man. Like Crazy. he's a great, he's a great, great player. Great player. One of the best offensive skill sets of this generation. One of the best American-born players a of all time. A winner. I, I'm gonna give love to one more guy on Beauty of the Week. Okay. My beauty is Eric. Carlson. I'm Eric. still living another speaking of fantasies. We've talked about polarizing guys, talking about fantasies on this Today's episode. a good day for you. It's been a good uh, day for you, Trevor. Uh, 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 uh. The Eric Carlson fantasy. I still have slim hopes in my mind, man. Like uh, Eric Carlson, Quinn Hughes. Now, you look at a team like Vancouver, I think they're farther ahead than the wild, right? So wow. I don't think Carlson would, would rule us out, man. Why why not, what, man? Why hey. not? But I, I won't I won't focus too much on the future because I just want to talk about his performance in the playoffs, man. This guy was playing with an absolutely broken body. Like he looked like he was fifty percent at some times. He's tough. He's, he's tough. He still played almost twenty-five minutes a night. Still has sixteen points in nineteen games. He was a big reason why the Sharks were where they were in the conference final. They really missed him in Game Six when he was out of the lineup. Don't get me wrong. He he was not himself in the playoffs. He was not really great in the the, the defensive zone. But the fact that this guy was so beat up, playing on one leg, one arm. Whatever, whatever else was hurt with this dude. Anytime I watched this guy play, I was I was just still in awe in some way. How was he still doing this? Because he's that smart. He's that good. 
And now, apparently, apparently, have, have you have you seen that kid on Ellen? Apparently, I'm gonna throw him right now. Eric Carlson may may just just come to Vancouver. Elliot Friedman said four teams supposedly are in the running for him, and Vancouver is one of those teams. Tampa, one of those teams. I'm hearing Vegas is one of those teams. Here's the thing about Vancouver compared to those guys. They can all pay Eric Carlson more. Fair enough. Uh, I'll throw this at you too. I was having a friend, uh, having a chat with a friend. Why isn't Colorado a destination for Eric Carlson? Honestly, that's a good question, man. Because Vancouver's better, that's why. No, no. <laughs> no in, all, in all honesty, I think Colorado's... Man, they're going to have one of the best... If they had Carlson, they'd have... Arguably the best decor in the league, I think. They have. Can you imagine to... Sam Gerrard, Kale McCarr, Tyson Berry, and Eric Carlson on the same team? Eric Johnson. Yeah, but I, Eric Johnson I is more this... like that physical guy. Yeah. But like that's four. You're talking about four guys who have extremely good puck skills. And Nathan McKinnon up there. <laughs> yeah. They be, have to do crazy. something big while Nathan McKinnon is getting paid two dollars. Also, that'd be a crazy burn on Ottawa too, man. Colorado like snags their their fourth overall pick this year, and they sign Eric Carlson. Can you imagine? You know, if he doesn't go to Vancouver, like, let's send Eric Carlson to Colorado, man. I'm down Make with Colorado cool again. Make Colorado cool again. Eric Carlson, Colorado's pretty cool. Not as cool as Vancouver, but, um, yeah, if you're not going to choose Vancouver, I think the Avalanche would be a good destination for you. Um, I think that's about it. That's all I got for Still Get Filthy this week, man. That's all I got. We, we talked about the Cup Final. Thanks again for Dixon Ward for coming on. Uh, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter, Silky and Filthy. I'm Trevor Beggs. He's Kyle Bowen. I'll see you filthy bastards next time. You know, I'm 24 years old. I got, I got brothers though that it's like, if I if I choose to go after this and go like kick it with a with a woman or go out for drinks, I know I'm, I'm I'm potentially slipping because I have brothers like Ross and like Wayne that are working like nonstop. So I think we all just push each other harder. Like, but for me being like a you know being a kid. From, from Canada coming into this whole thing, being able to observe, like, like literally, like, my heroes do do this shit. It's like, I, I, I mean, all I want to do is work. I just want to make this album as incredible as I can. And, and yeah, that's, that's the best way I could put it, man. Like, I really see the hardest working people to ever do this.